Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Fulfilled the Podcast. Today, we're talking all about nutrition for littles and for the adults in your life. We have a special guest today. Her name is Alyssa Miller. She is on Instagram at Nutrition for Littles. Alyssa is a registered dietitian, a picky eating specialist, and a mama of two. She is passionate about helping parents to build strong, healthy families, and she believes that picky eating gets in the way of that. She offers gentle, and low pressure techniques to help your little ones try new foods in ways that work and feel good for you. She is the host of the Nutrition for Littles podcast, the co-host of the Mama Well podcast, and she is the creator of Table Talk, the picky eating program that works. Alyssa is here to help you raise healthy, happy, and independent eaters for life. I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation where we talk about everything from picky eating to pressure to meal planning to intuitive eating. What to put on your kid's plate, how to demystify dessert, and how to boost your kid's immune system. All right, here we go. Hi, I'm Tracy, an impassioned lady on a quest to slay working motherhood and find fulfillment. I'm here to help you navigate the beautiful and damned in the life of a working mom. I'm a PA, mom, wife, and lover of fashion who is guiding my fellow working moms to ditch the dread and find fulfillment in the wonder and the war zone that is modern motherhood. I teach you the clinical pearls you need to create a life you love, pearls you can apply today to change your life tomorrow. Skirt around those heavy real life topics? No way. Here you'll get an unfiltered ringside seat. You'll hear about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Parenting, step-parenting, marriage, motherhood, faith, and finances are all topics we will sit down and unpack together. Think of this as your one-stop shop for all the motivation and encouragement you need to help navigate working motherhood. Each week, it's like a mom's night out had a baby with a TED Talk. Then the mom's night out went back to work. Pull up a seat, get settled, and get ready to be inspired and encouraged. This is Fulfilled, the podcast. Alyssa, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Alyssa. I'm a registered dietitian, picky eating specialist, and mama of two. And I'm on Instagram at Nutrition for Littles with little periods in between. You can find me there. And I just um, absolutely love helping parents have good relationships around the table with their little ones and picky eating can just kind of get in the way honestly and um, it was something that I started to go down that route with with my son and started struggling through and I just kept getting so frustrated going this can't be the way that it is for years and years of my life you know and um, I dove back into the research that I honestly loved when I was an undergrad but kind of forgot about And on paper, everything sounds easy, right? And then you have kids of your own and you're like, oh, everything I learned in school isn't black and white and super easy. And so I dove back into the research and started applying some of the things to my own son. And as I watched our relationship truly flourish around the table, I was like, okay, this has to be the next thing that I do and just went for it and absolutely love helping families out of that picky eating rut because it can be so draining on the whole family, especially moms. Yeah, I think that can really feel exhausting when you're spending the time and the energy to prepare food that then your kids are just refusing to eat. It's soul crushing. Yeah. Soul crushing. Yes, totally. So speaking of soul crushing, I I think this might have been a post of yours and it said, whoa, that's a lot of days in a row to make dinner. So let's yes. talk about 
tackling the least favorite meal of the day for a lot of moms dinner. So what are your thoughts on things like meal planning? How can we be offering a healthy variety in the midst of this crazy shuffle of homework and bath and bedtime that comes with evenings? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a big question because it's truly a journey that I'm still on as well. And I think especially during the pandemic, everything just got even harder and more focused on like eating at home and being at home all the time. And it was just like, I was drained. And I think that's where that post was born out of. And I did like the math and I was like, okay, what needs to change here? And so really something that I've been embracing and working on is the idea of meal planning, but also meal prepping. And a lot of times people hear this like thought of meal prepping and go immediately to like the Pinterest pictures of a thousand meals that look the exact same pre-portioned and perfectly in square containers in their fridge. And this is just not my experience of what works. Um, For any of you who follow me on Instagram, you recently witnessed me trying to be this like extreme meal planner or meal prepper just to see what it feels like. No way. It was not worth the time. It was not worth the energy. And truly what I recommend is just small steps in the right direction. What can I do right now while I have the time, while I have the energy that's going to save me energy and time later and make things faster? And It's really incredible how time works. I don't know how it all works, but it's like truly feels like under pressure when your kids are asking for food and dinner time's coming around and bath time. And just like you said, time seems to like move so quickly and everyone's cranky and hangry and all the things, right? And all eyes are on you. And yet during like nap time, I'm like, oh, well, if I just cut up the broccoli right now, it's going to be so much easier later. Or something I've recently working on with some of my clients is like, okay, what if on Monday night when we're cooking dinner for Monday night, we also go ahead and chop all the vegetables that we're going to serve for the rest of the week. And then we just have them in the fridge or even just one night's worth. And really just these small tangible tips to help us get ahead. Anything to save me a minute down the road has been really, really helpful for me. And meal planning, I was anti-meal planning for so long until I became a mom. And I was like, you know, I just want to eat what feels good, what sounds good in the moment, throw something together. And It just doesn't work out that way when you have kids. Let me tell you, they're asking you questions. And if you don't know the answers to them, you start falling apart and everything starts kind of just dwindling. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just need a plan. And it's so much more helpful when you have a plan or at least one to stick to in kind of like worst case scenario that you can be still flexible with and change things up kind of as you go. And um, so that's been really helpful. I just have like a day that I meal plan and I go grocery shopping and I look at my fridge and I clean out my fridge if I need to and make space for everything coming into the home. And it has saved me so many headaches down the road, especially when I stick to it. Yeah. And I think as moms that sometimes if we take a step back from these tasks that really feel draining, like I have to chop vegetables every single night because I know I want to be serving them. (laughs) But when you do it five nights a week, you have to wash the cutting board five times and you have to watch the knife five times and you have to get up the gumption to do it five times. So just streamlining that can really save us energy. And it's like doing your future self a favor. Yes, absolutely. And I am a huge fan of doing something once and making it count for multiple meals or multiple times. So like we always include at least one night, if not two nights of leftovers in our plan so that I know, hey, if I'm making chili on Tuesday night, then I'm going to make enough chili to last us not only that night, but also another night down the road, which saves me so much time. And same thing with like vegetables. You kind of asked me about how to include variety too. Honestly, what I try to do is I just choose one to two new things each week. 
to try. And that's like our new fruit or vegetable or our new protein or whatever new starch or grain and try to incorporate that at least one to two times during that week. And so um, when I'm doing that, like let's say it's zucchini or something, then when I chop it up, I chop it up for not only tonight's dinner, but also Thursday night dinner or whatever that is. And that really helps me increase that variety, but also continue to expose my kids to foods over and over again and not go months and months and months before the next time I serve zucchini because it's right there during the same week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that repetition is really helpful for kids. They're often very skeptical the first time that something shows up. Yes, (laughs) definitely, for sure. So on to another favorite topic of yours. So you are a picking eating specialist. Mm-hmm. So what can we do if we're struggling with a kid who seems like a picky eater to us? And as a mom, how do you know what's normal picky eating or when we really need to like get some help from our nutritionists or medical providers, occupational therapists, that kind of person? Yeah, I love this question. It's so hard, right? As moms, we're inundated with information or we're comparing our kid, whether or not we intend to, to the kid down the street or, you know, down the picnic table or at the park. And we're going, oh my gosh, I wish my kid ate like that. And then, you know, or the same thing with sleeping or speech development, all these things are all happening in the same few formative years, which feels really heavy and scary. And so, Um, There's kind of two sides to this coin. One is a lot of times parents will bring in their kid to their pediatrician and say, you know, I'm really worried. They're picky. They don't eat any vegetables. And sometimes the provider will kind of brush them off, right? And we've all probably experienced that of I'm concerned about this and you're telling me it's normal. (laughs) And you're like, okay, but you're not in my home. How do you know that's actually quote unquote normal? And just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. And that's one of my favorite distinctions because yes, picky eating is super common. And there are parts of it that are actually developmental and they're there for a reason to protect our kids, but that's a whole nother conversation. But so there is some normalcy to picky eating or being selective. However, once it starts to get to a place where it's repetitive and continuously struggling at the table for you and for your child, they aren't eating a variety of foods, they're narrowing in on how many foods they can eat, then we start to go, okay, there's just, I, I don't know if it's a full red flag, maybe a yellow flag saying, hey, look over here. What are some things we can do? And that's really where my account and my podcast come into play of, hey, these are some tips that you can use and implement in real life to gain some traction and start to kind of see like what is really going on? What is the actual intake that my little one's having? Is it having any long-term effects? And when you start to kind of think about when it's time to seek support, meaning you hire a dietitian, you work with a feeding therapist, you go to a pediatrician, whatnot, we're looking for things like dropping safe foods. So safe foods are foods that they would um, like uh, eat without any encouragement, right? Mm -hmm. Like they would just be willing to sit down and eat it. It doesn't mean favorite food. It just means reliably eaten in the past. So these are safe foods. When they start to drop safe foods, they will no longer eat it. So for example, someone I was just talking to, their little one used to eat rice and now no longer eats rice. And so we start to see those safe foods dropping while also not picking up any new safe foods. Mm. That can be a good indication that, okay, something's going on here. We're going down this picky eating path and maybe it's time to pump the brakes and try something new. Um, Another one would be any sort of like feeding difficulties, like they're gagging a lot, they're spitting up, they're throwing up. They've rejected meals for 
days on end. Now, we're going to have some meal rejections here and there where they don't touch anything. That is still normal and relatively okay. But um, when it continues for a long period of time, that's where we're going to start to see, hey, there's some red flags here that need to be addressed. Um, And then the biggest thing that I always say too is if your intuition is telling you that something's off, if your intuition is saying, hey, we need help. I need guidance. I'm feeling insecure at the table. I'm feeling not very confident. I don't know how to handle this. It's such a great time to seek support. And I always say the earlier, the better, right? There's nothing wrong with having a little extra education behind us to know the path we want to take. And especially if if your listeners are anything like me or like my listeners, um, we're probably on Instagram and inundated with information from a thousand different accounts specializing in a thousand different things or multiple accounts specializing in the same thing. And we're hearing slightly different messages and we're not sure who to follow and what to do and what to try. And it can be really loud for us to listen to what's best for us and our kid. And I'll never forget, I heard this kind of quote, if you will, or analogy to what your intuition is. So your intuition is education plus experience. And that gives us that intuition to really be able to dig in and see, okay, what's going to actually work with my kid because you're the one that knows your kid best, right? And so really um, tapping into that intuition. And if there's something saying, hey, we don't have enough education or we don't have enough experience, then how can we go out and get that in a way that feels doable and safe and supported for us where we're not going to be shamed or judged or put down a path that's actually going to make things worse and not better? And so if you're a mom and or a dad and you went to that pediatrician appointment and you said, hey, I feel like something is wrong. He or she isn't eating. And they mm-hmm. said, all kids are picky. Don't worry about it. What's your next step? Yeah, absolutely. So I would recommend for you to either push that pediatrician a little bit further and saying, hey, I'm really concerned about this and I understand that this is normal. However, there has to be a different way that this is going on. What suggestions do you have? And asking them for either a referral or if they don't feel comfortable, if you can kind of tell that that's the end of their knowledge, asking for a second opinion, you know, having another doctor talk to you or getting a feeding therapist involved or a dietitian um, as well. So that's kind of the next step there. And I would also highly encourage you to use the free resources available on the internet. It is so helpful to follow accounts like mine or podcasts like mine that give you some semblance of education. Now, that being said, some people that's too overwhelming and I totally understand that and you want to be in person with someone and have eyes on your kid, which can always kind of give us peace of mind. Um, But a lot of times my uh, either course or program or my podcast can really be supportive in conjunction with feeding therapy and moving forward with um, your pediatrician on any sort of calls to action that they might want you to do. Um, And another thing too is looking at their weight, seeing what is their weight really doing? Because I think there's some misinformation about what growth looks like um, for little ones. So their first year of life, babies triple in size, almost always triple in size. And so they're drinking a ton of milk, whether it's breast milk or formula, and then they start eating solids. And regardless of how well they're eating solids, they're getting a lot of meals throughout the day. And eating what feels like a ton, like all the time to us, right? And then all of a sudden they hit toddlerhood and their growth actually slows down. Now they're still growing rapidly. We know that. um, But their growth is actually slowing down. And so sometimes parents get worried and saying, oh, they didn't eat lunch or they skipped breakfast or, you know, they didn't eat very much dinner. And really what we want to do is zoom out and say, okay, how much did they eat during the day? How much did they eat during the week and even the month? Because it ebbs and flows. 
And a lot of times we see these growth charts that are like these perfect curves upward because we're only going every six or 18 months or so to see and plot them on a chart. But really day to day, their growth varies. And we've all heard this, right? Like, oh my gosh, did you grow last night? You're walking downstairs and it looks like they've grown five inches. They hit growth spurts. And so what that means is that there's plateaus and then huge jumps and plateaus and huge jumps. And you're going to see that reflected in their energy levels and also how much they eat. And so a lot of times it's just reassessing and kind of reprioritizing what it actually looks like for a little one to fulfill their needs, which is something I spend a lot of time on inside Table Talk because I think a lot of our expectations aren't quite where they should be. And then that leads to a lot of fear. And the fear is usually what we're acting out of when we try things like adding pressure at the table or talking with our pediatrician or, you know, whatever those kind of next steps are for us. Have you ever wished that you could get cash back on your purchases without dealing with introductory rates on credit cards, counting points, and credit card hopping to try to find the best deal? Do you wish that you could earn cash back on the purchases that you are already making? Rakuten has you covered. This cash back button is a browser extension that finds you coupons and earns you cash back on things like your KiwiCo crates for the kids, makeup at Ulta, tech items from Best Buy and Apple, your office supplies from Staples, and clothing from places like Nordstrom and White House Black Market. You can shop, earn, and save with Rakuten. And when you sign up using the link in the show notes, you'll get an instant $30 back after your first qualifying purchase. So let's talk about pressuring our kids to eat. So I'm sure that there is a mom listening who can hear her mom or dad saying, you have to clean your plate. You Mm -hmm. have to clean your plate to get up from dinner, to have dessert, to X, Y, Z. And I think as parents, this comes from a place of love and concern. We want to make sure that our kids are getting enough food. And so we say, either you have to eat all of that or just eat three more bites. And we're either kind of overtly or covertly pressuring them. I've heard you talk about that before. So how can we know if we're doing that and how can we stop doing it and what do we do instead? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a great question. So um, I guess where we should probably start is, yeah, what is pressure, right? Because you're like, is it really pressure to ask my kid to take a bite? (laughs) And so it's really hard because every kid is different, right? They're their ability to withstand pressure or to stand up to pressure or to understand or, you know, um, internalize pressure is different. Every child is so different. So sometimes I feel like it's a little unfair of me to like categorize all bribing and all begging and all pleading and all guilt and all those things as pressure. But really what we want to do is take this kind of external view, right? We're so emotional people, all of us are, and we've put time and effort into feeding these kids. We're worried about them. We love them dearly. We want them to grow and develop and thrive. And when we see them not eating, which we know nutrition is important, we know that, we're going, okay, there's a disconnect. Here's what I want for you. You need to eat to get there. And it's not happening. And that brings in fear, anxieties, worry, all these things. And so what I like to kind of do is this exercise where instead of taking your view of it, put yourself in your child's shoes and try to empathize with how they might be feeling. Food is a brand new concept to them, right? I mean, truly, even if they're a few years old, that's just a few years old of experience with food. You and I, we have 20, 30 years of experience with food to pull on and to compare and contrast new foods that are put in front of us. If I see a pomegranate for the first time, I can kind of anticipate what that's going to feel like in our mouth. 
because I have experience with other fruits that look similar, right? And they don't have that. They don't have a lot of that to draw on, nor do they have the memory or the capacity to do that necessarily. And so it's just a good reminder to put yourself in your kid's shoes. And a lot of the sayings that we say to children would be totally inappropriate for someone to say to us as adults. And so I think, right, and so I think that's helpful to keep in mind too. Like if I was at dinner and I didn't finish my food and I pushed it aside and my husband was like, hey, you have to clean your plate. I'd be like, excuse me, what? What? No, you know? And so, of course, children aren't adults and they're not fully prepared to make big life decisions and to really understand the the consequences of their actions, but they'll also never learn the consequences of their actions if they don't get to experience it firsthand. We probably all had that friend or we've been that person that our parents didn't let us experience the consequences of our actions. And then we went out in life and we're like, wait, what? What's going on? (laughs) Right. Or only learn from someone telling us or, you know, fear mongering us away from doing things. A lot of us had to learn from experience. And so the same thing rings true here. And kind of the other vision I want people to take is almost that of like a security camera watching the table and what's going on. This takes so much of the emotion out of it. Just uh, objectively saying what's going on here. What are the facts? What are the words that were said? What actually happened? How much did they actually eat? A lot of times I get parents that say, oh my gosh, they hardly touched their dinner. And then they explain it to me and I'm like, oh, it sounds like they ate quite a bit. You put a lot on the plate and they ate half. That's a lot. And so it's, you know, it's just very subjective. And so kind of taking that outward approach and going, okay, from a security camera's viewpoint, what did dinner look like? What? Because it can't really feel, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just very objective what actually happened, what words were said. And so a lot of times pressure comes from our words. And so I spent a lot of time in my account talking about, you know, positive things to say to our kids um, and kind of staying in that neutral zone as well of like staying calm and not begging, bribing, pleading, pressuring, all those things um, fall under that category of pressure. So just like you said, eat three more bites so that you can get your dessert. It's that tit for tat, right? Um, Or we're looking at things like uh, guilt trips. You know, a lot of times we're, oh, mommy spent all day making your favorite meal, or you liked it yesterday, comparing themselves to themselves or to siblings. All of those things are going to feel like pressure. And the reason, so outside of the research supports this, the research 100% stands behind the more we pressure, the less They eat specifically less of the foods we want them to eat. They actually eat not only in childhood, but also in adulthood. And so sometimes it's good to have that long vision of saying, where do I want my child to be as an adult? (laughs) Because a lot of times when they're children, it can feel really overwhelming in the moment. But this is just a season to get them to becoming healthy adults as well. So sometimes that's helpful. And I think as well, just looking at pressuring, what we're doing by pressuring our kids to eat even because it comes from a place of love, which trust me, I fully understand and feel that too, is we're forcing them to eat because of external reasons, right? Because my mom told me to, because I want to go play, because I, you know, want this or did that, or they compared this or whatever the rule is. That's very external. We want the motivation and the inspiration behind eating to be internal, So I'm eating because I'm hungry. I'm eating because I need energy. I'm eating this food because my body needs it to sustain all the activities I want to go and do. And this is really imperative in this very young age to keep them and to build them up in these internal reasons to eat versus kind of teaching them that they need external validation for what they're eating, when they're eating, how much they're eating, that again will follow them into adulthood. 
So if that is a new concept and you're listening and you're a mom and you want to share with your kids internal reasons and sort of like get them on board with kind of figuring out that they should be eating because food fuels your body and it's important for energy and growing and all of that. How do we start to introduce that to our kids and, or do they already know and we're just getting in the way (laughs) with the pressure? Like, (laughs) yep, you nailed it. That's exactly right. (laughs) They already know. And this is what's kind of cool about my job, I think, is I'm not so much doing anything new. I'm just protecting what was already built in them. And so uh, really, truly, babies are born as intuitive eaters. Outside of any medical conditions, they're born as intuitive eaters. So you'll just, by watching a baby, see this play out, right? They wake up and start crying when they're hungry. They nurse or they take a bottle, turn their head away when they're done, start you know, pushing the nipple out of their mouth. This is very natural for us to be intuitive eaters. Um, that's kind of what we call it, right? The intuitive nature of eating. And so what we're doing in toddlerhood is protecting that intuitive eating behavior. We don't necessarily need to teach it to them. However, I would also argue that what's really great, probably one of the best things you can do is model intuitive eating for yourself and then eat your meals around your kids so that they can learn from you. So if you are a mom who has struggled with having a healthy relationship with food, whether that means that you are not eating intuitively or that you've spent your adult life dieting or trying to change your body, your kids are absolutely going to see and pick up on that. So how do you start to model this healthier relationship with food so that your kids will see it? Yeah, I love this question so much because I think we're all in this boat, right? We're all trying to do the best that we can to raise happy, healthy kids. And a lot of us just don't see that connection. So I just want to kind of point out, it goes back to that external versus internal desires, right, of eating. Why are we eating? Why are we eating what we're eating? Why are we eating how much we're eating? Why are we stopping eating at a certain time or starting eating at a certain time? And this is what I call kind of outsourcing our health or outsourcing our nutrition. We're asking other people to speak into our life about what foods we need to eat when. And listen, there's nothing wrong, again, with getting that information and and learning how the human bodies work and and what foods will really support us and all those sorts of things. But when we start to take it from just education and curiosity to judgment and to shame and to frustration with our bodies and our sizes and all these sorts of things, we're kind of outsourcing our health to other people. We're trusting a diet or a book or a meal plan or an app or maybe even another person to tell us everything we need to know about our bodies. And yet they have never experienced our bodies. They don't know when we get hungry. They don't know what foods feel good. Um, And so that's, again, why I have my other account, the Mama Well and the Mama Well podcast, is to help moms reconnect and get back to that place of intuitive eating, of listening to their bodies so that they can pass that on to their kids. And so what I'd recommend to get started with, honestly, is looking at your life from a bird's eye view and asking yourself, do I trust my body? And if not, why not? Where did that come from? Where was I first introduced to dieting? Where was I first introduced to these thoughts around food and my weight and what that means about me? And what do I actually believe about health? And am I pursuing health or am I pursuing thinness and more this ideal body? 
And I know that can feel very heavy for a lot of us to kind of decipher. So it's really helpful just to think of it this way. When we pursue health through habits, through behaviors that feel good, not like we're checking a box and like we have to and, you know, checking into an app to say we've done it. But when we're pursuing those healthy habits to feel good, because I feel better for the rest of the day when I get outside and get sunshine and go for a walk, not because someone's telling me to, everything else will follow. So when we're pursuing health in a way that feels good to us and our body, everything else truly will follow and take care of itself. But it can feel really overwhelming to get started, which is why we have the podcast and we have um, our account as well. Is It's just kind of a gentle introduction to say, hey, what if we tried things backwards? Because the research supports it's 98%, 97.5%, I think, of diets fail, quote unquote, fail because that's using their idea of what works, which is the focus is always on weight loss and not on true health. And there's a distinction there that you can actively be healthy and working towards health and, and introducing health behaviors without changing your weight. And weight isn't a behavior. Like I can wake up tomorrow and decide I'm going to start walking every day and I can start that day. I can't wake up tomorrow and decide to be 20 pounds lighter, right? It's not a behavior that I can just do that moment. So instead, chase the behaviors and start introducing those in a way that feels really good to your body that's sustainable long-term. And that's the word that's so key is a lot of these diets and beliefs around food or restriction or even just like watching what you eat, it's just not as sustainable. And there's a lot that we can unpack here with this, but that's probably the first place to start is just saying, okay, am I actually pursuing health? And how can I start small in sustainable ways that feel good to me? And the rest will follow. Your kids will learn from you as you're on this journey. You don't have to wake up and be a perfect eater, which by the way, no one is anyways, but you don't have to wake up and be perfect tomorrow, right? It's with anything in our life. Our kids are doing this life alongside us. And if they see this effort, this change, this shift in how we're treating food, how we're treating mealtimes, how we're treating ourselves, how we're talking to ourselves, they're going to follow suit. And that's what's really kind of beautiful about it. Um, and I always kind of say we can say and do all the right things, but at the end of the day, if we are not following that advice, they're going to follow suit with what we're doing and not with what we're saying, even though I wish that wasn't true. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, unfortunately. Right, exactly. <laughs> all this talk about living in alignment is making me want to get clear on my core values. If you're feeling this too, check out my free guide. It is the quick start guide to clarify your core values. It's a series of exercises that you walk through to discover or rediscover what is most important to you. I share the formula for a fulfilled life, a life based in the firm foundation of your core values. It includes three simple exercises you can do today to identify your core values, and it shares the framework for a life of fulfillment, how to discover and implement that framework. I share examples of core values, prompts to get your creative juices flowing, and a how-to on personalizing these core values to make them meaningful and powerful to you. You can find the link in the show notes or go to tracy-bingaman.mykajabi.com slash core values. That's tracy-bingaman.mykajabi.com slash core values to download your free guide and get clear on what matters most to you so you can start living in alignment with those values today. 
All right. So I've heard you talk about taking dessert off the pedestal at your home and making less of a big deal about it. I've even seen some posts about just serving what you would consider a dessert or a treat or a snack with your actual dinner. So it's not like dinner and then dessert. So how can we stop kind of making dessert like a capital D dessert big deal thing at home? Yeah, I love this question. So, uh, you know, when we take a step back and really think about it, when we kind of are, if we're, if we're on board and we're interested in, okay, yes, I want my kids to be intuitive eaters. I want them to listen to their body. I want them to be eating for internal reasons, not external. Then it would kind of make sense that we wouldn't serve dessert after a meal, right? Because we're hoping and we're expecting that our little ones are going to eat till comfortable fullness their meals. But then if we say, hey, after you just ate to your comfortableness, here's this dessert that, by the way, tastes really good, looks really good, right? Like most desserts are pretty visually appealing. And go ahead and eat past fullness now. And it's kind of sending mixed messages to our little one. So instead of doing that, serving dessert on the plate with everything else, which, yes, I think I just heard an audible gasp from people listening who this is due to, can actually help them regulate what foods they eat in what amounts off of their plate so that they feel good later. And this can take some time, absolutely. If you have a child who's already super hyper-focused on desserts, they've been used as a bribery technique in the past, or they've been used you know, as huge, monumental, like you were saying, big capital D desserts. It's so exciting. It's a big event. It will take some time to kind of demystify them or bring them back to kind of solid ground um, and take them off the pedestal, just like you said, because Really, um, the longer that they've been more sugar-focused or desserts-focused, the longer it will probably take to get back to a place. But I do want to encourage you that it can be possible for your kid to have a cookie on their plate with everything else and not just eat the cookies. It can be possible for you that they take a bite or two of the cookie and a bite or two of other things, and then they're done. It can even be possible for some kids to not even touch the dessert even when it's on their plate. That is what's possible when you start to include desserts in a healthful way. And so what I recommend around that is kind of thinking of that food as no different than any other other food. They also don't get broccoli at every meal all day, every day, right? Broccoli is maybe what, one, two, maybe three times a week. It's not all the time. And yet we kind of hyperventilate at the thought of like offering desserts frequently. But the more that they're exposed to this food, the less um, shininess it has to it, right? The less draw it has. I call this the wet paint syndrome. If you walk into a room, you're like walking down a hallway and there's a sign that says wet paint, do not touch. All of our instinct is to touch that wall, right? (laughs) And we're like, all my attention is right here. And now I have to touch this wet paint and see if it's actually wet or if this sign is lying to me. That is like human nature. I'm a toucher. I 100% would touch it and see. Some people are rule followers and they're like, well, I just want to like get really close to it, right? And like look and see if it's like shiny, is it really wet or whatever. And so it's just bringing attention. Whereas if we were to walk down a hallway, even if it had wet paint, you wouldn't even think about touching it. You would just walk right past it. And the same kind of applies to dessert. When we make it this special event and we draw attention to it, we limit it, we talk about how bad it is or it's going to hurt our bodies or whatever it might be, we say we can't have dessert. 
all of our kids are going to go, I want dessert, nothing else. (laughs) Right. And so instead, how can we implement it and bring it into our rotation so that it doesn't have that kind of it factor when it is around? It's just another thing on the plate and they get to decide if they eat it or not. Yeah, I think that that is um, something we definitely have yet to conquer at our house, but I'm excited to start working towards it because our kids, they call it a treat. It's a treat. Yeah. Yeah. Which my parents called it a treat. Like, so it was like, oh, it's a treat. You know, you're at the grocery store. Do you want a treat? We're going to get a treat. And it's like, I'm like, I want to stop calling it a treat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one for a lot of people is this terminology we've used. And so I'm a big proponent of just calling food by its name. Um, So a cookie is a cookie, a brownie is a brownie, you know, broccoli is broccoli. Um, But if the word treat holds some value in your home, which you're not alone in that by far, um, what a great way to kind of dismantle that is by associating that word with multiple different types of treats. It can also be a treat to go to the library. It can also be a treat to get a walk outside. It can also be a treat to get one-on-one time with mom. It can also be a treat to go get an acai bowl at, you know, the local place. It can be a treat to get a smoothie. So I think just helping taking some of that like fanciness around that word off the table can be really helpful. Um, And then just being really intentional with our words. When we are talking about a cookie, we say cookie. Um, And, you know, a lot of times this desserts on the pedestal or having desserts after a meal or calling it a treat it makes it easier to for us to kind of fall into that temptation of bribery, right? Like it's it becomes a lot easier when we haven't served dessert alongside the meal and they're not eating very well, we can it's a lot easier to say, well, you can have a brownie if you finish your plate, right? But if it's already on the plate, it kind of makes a decision for you that you can't bribe them. <laughs> like not always, but at least in some way. So I always like to figure out ways that will set me up for success too because adding pressure is way too easy you kind of mentioned it too, like a lot of us were brought up this way and have this ingrained in us. So if we're not actively trying something new, most likely we're going to fall into those same patterns. And so um, what's really helpful is just setting yourself up for success. And that's where it's really important to have that meal plan. Know when you're serving the desserts. So when they ask for it, you can say, oh, you know what? It's not on the menu today, but we're going to be making brownies tomorrow. Should we put frosting on it or sprinkles, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, kind of include that in the conversation. And I think that can be really helpful to set us up for success as well, because otherwise it does become quite easy to use it as a little bargaining chip. Yeah. I think we're always kind of at our house. We have that in our back pocket and we're like, it's not going well. I'm going to reach for it. So, you know, totally. kind of putting it on the plate takes it out of your pocket, so to speak. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's really the interesting thing about pressure is it works until it doesn't, right? If we overuse that chip, it's gone. Like I, you know, kind of joke in a lot of my free classes, I kind of talk more about our story. I go a little bit more in depth. And I talk about how with my son, it started slow and honestly, it worked. It was like, oh, you want to go play in the play place at Chick-fil-A? Well, you got to finish your meal, you know, and it worked. He would eat it, gobble it up and then go run. And then over time, it was like, my stakes were getting higher and he was getting like, like we were less result. It was like, lick the chicken and I'll give you this pot of gold, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so that's the thing about pressure is it starts to grow and grow and grow and go faster and faster. And then all of a sudden you're totally out of control. And something that was working at first has now grown and you can't control it. Your kid can't control it. They expect it. You feel under pressure to continue to do it. You don't know what else will work. You don't know how to step out of that cycle because 
when you do, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys, it can be really a tough few days, weeks, even months to say, hey, we're no longer doing that because your kid is going to test those boundaries and go, oh, yeah, what if I do this? Oh, yeah, what if I only eat the brownie? What if I skip meals for a day? You know, and you're like, oh, oh no. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then that fear builds. And then you're like, well, I know pressure wasn't working great for us, but at least it was doing something. And so I'm going to step right back into that. And it can really kind of suck us back in. Um, whereas the other way of doing things, the gentle tech tactics, the low or no pressure tactics build. So they start off a little shaky, make you feel a little uncertain and like, I'm not sure this is going to work. But eventually you get to this place where you're like, they're eating and I don't have to do anything but f- put food in front of them. And that is really, really powerful. Um, but it takes time to get there, of course. Sure. Yeah. With all things, these things take time. <laughs> yes. All right. So we have a couple more questions about building our kids' plates. So we're going to now put the dessert right on there with everything else. (laughs) That's right. Tell us about the PFCF rule and how we can utilize that at home. Yeah. So PFCF rule is just a really helpful acronym to help us remind ourselves of what's needed on a plate whenever we serve food. So ideally, not only meals, but also snacks would have PFCF. So protein, fats and carbohydrates with fiber. Um, So those would be kind of the ideal pieces to have on a plate. So just knowing if you typically give your children, let's say, a bran muffin or something for breakfast, you're like, okay, that bran muffin, it's got some fiber. It likely has a little bit of protein. How can I get some fat into there? And you're like, okay, I'm going to spread some butter on top. And it's just a quick little check mark to say, okay, protein, fat, carbs with fiber. Um, So if you're serving I don't know, um, oatmeal or something like that, you know, well, it's kind of the same example. (laughs) So maybe let's do something else. Let's say you're serving, um, a cheese stick and you're like, okay, this cheese stick has some protein. It even has some fat as long as it's full fat cheese. Now, what about fiber? There's really no fiber in cheese. So I'm going to have a, an apple alongside of it and get some of that fiber. And this is really ideal, not only to, um, add some variety to our little one's plate and keep it kind of fresh for them, but also for us to know that they're getting a variety of the micro and um, macronutrients that they need for their nutrition. And it's going to keep them fuller for longer, which exactly. (laughs) They're not asking for snacks every two seconds because they're actually feeling full and satisfied versus we all know when we give our kids some goldfish crackers, they can go through those in a second and still be hungry. And that's because there's just not a lot of substance there to fill them up for a long time. Awesome. So I think we can all kind of take something from that to employ so that they're not asking for a snack 30 seconds later, which they exactly. like to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this has been the past year and a half, two years, when I think as a society, we've been more concerned and focused on having feeding our kids things that are going to build a healthy and robust immune system than ever before. We always wanted them to stay healthy, but this year and a half, particularly, we wanted them to have the best fighting chance if they encountered any new viruses, let's say. Mm -hmm. So what can we do this week to start boosting the immune system of our kids? What are some easy things to add or tips or tricks that you have for us relative to that? 
Yeah. So I'm a huge proponent for gut health. Adults, children, it's so important. Our gut is actually the number one stop for viruses and for bacteria and for things to fester and get in. And so if we have a healthy, strong gut, um, this can actually prevent so many illnesses. And so having a healthy gut is the number one top thing that I would recommend for immune building. Maybe it's not as shiny or fancy as some supplements or some, you know, turmeric, beautiful colored foods, which also can be helpful, of course. But building that gut bacteria takes time and also um, some just focus. And and the biggest thing that we can do to help with our little one's gut is variety, 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 variety. So even taking off like all the whole foods that, of course, would be very nourishing, just saying, okay, how can I just focus on getting a variety of foods? All foods can fit. I just don't want to keep serving them, you know, goldfish every snack time over and over and over again. Gold, There's nothing wrong with goldfish, but when we need to have variety, it makes it a little bit easier for us to decide, okay, goldfish on Monday, but then on Tuesday, we're going to do the apple and the string cheese. And on Wednesday, we're going to do, you know, a smoothie or whatever that might look like to mix it up and have that variety. Because at the end of the day, I recommend having at least one safe food offered. So a food that your little one will eat at every meal, but even having a variety of those safe foods continue to be cycled through. So they're not getting the same safe food over and over again. So if by chance that's the only thing they eat over and over again, they're still getting a variety of food. So that's the top tip there. So the second one kind of goes along that is foods that have live probiotics in them. So yogurt is a really easy one um, for little ones to get into. Just make sure that they have the live and active cultures um, that they can eat. Things like that would be really helpful for gut health. Sometimes you can do even a supplement um, for little ones, like mix it into their bottle or mix it into their milk to help with their probiotics and getting enough of those as well. Kefir is a great one. If if little ones are interested in like the yogurt type drinks, you can do uh, kefir. And my kids, I don't know about your kids, but if my kids can drink something, a lot of times it goes down a little bit easier. So kefir can be really helpful. Any sort of fermented foods like sauerkraut, if you can mix that in with any of your dishes, um, top their hot dogs with it, things like that. Um, my other favorite that we do with our kids is... Um, kombucha. My little ones love kombucha. They don't need a ton of it, just a little bit. Can be a really easy one to get into your little ones. So fermented foods. And then my sourdough, I make sourdough bread. And uh, that one can be a great fermented food as well. We not only do fermented sourdough bread, but we'll actually make like sourdough pancakes and sourdough. They're like, I don't even know what you call them. It's like the leftover starter that you just kind of fry up in the pan. So things like that. Um, can be really helpful to grow that gut bacteria. And then, like I said, a, a probiotic or a supplement to mix in with different foods can also be helpful. So top tip is gut health and paying attention to that. But on top of that, some foods that you can include is green vegetables are going to be great. Smoothies, I find, are a really easy way to get those in for little ones. Typically, not always, um, mixed in with scrambled eggs can also be helpful to get those green veggies in. Um, nuts and seeds depending of course on your little one's age and the choking risk there you can smash them up or mix them into oatmeal um, or even yogurt or again smoothies can be a great one to get the nuts and seeds in there um, and of course things like sweet potatoes like orange foods can be really helpful so sweet potatoes the turmeric like I said and using that spice can be helpful along with the ginger that I'm sure a lot of people have heard do wonders as well so those are kind of my favorite foods salmon 
those orange foods are really helpful. Awesome. Even shrimp, um, some shellfish can be really helpful as well to kind of boost our immunity, if you will. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been a super helpful um, conversation. And if someone is listening and they're wondering where they can go to connect with you online and learn more about your podcast, your courses, your teachings, where's the best place for them to head? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would love to have you guys follow me over at Nutrition for Littles on Instagram. I am there all the time on my stories, especially. Um, And then, of course, I have a podcast as well. It's called Nutrition for Littles. You can find it anywhere where you listen. And they're short 15-minute episodes for the moms, you know, just need that quick information. That's where I give it every week there. Um, So you can follow along there. And then, like I said, if you're interested, if if the part of our conversation that was more towards moms and your health and nutrition and well-being interests you over at the Mama Well, both on Instagram and the Mama Well podcast is a great place to start um, to get some of that information as well. And oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It was such a great conversation. And man, I love to talk, which is probably why I have two podcasts. So (laughs) I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Until next time, keep on slaying your own fire-breathing dragons. Thank you so much for hitting play on another episode of Fulfilled, the podcast. I have a favor to ask. If you like what you heard today, please tell your friends. Take a screenshot and share it on social. You can tag me on Instagram at Mrs. Tracy Bingaman, and you can tag the podcast at Fulfilled Podcast. And please consider leaving a review. I'd love to hear what you think, and your reviews can help other moms find me so they can grow alongside you. Oh, I almost forgot. Don't forget to subscribe so you get next week's episode automatically in your podcast queue. Instant inspiration and all the mom jokes? Yes, please. We'll see you next week on Fulfilled the Podcast.